Community Radio for Brentwood and Billericay. This is Phoenix FM. I'm delighted to be joined in conversation by Pink Floyd's Nick Mason. Thank you, Nick, for joining us on Phoenix FM. Uh, We're here to talk about the new album, The Endless River, which since its release has been the number one album in 20 countries. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, You must be delighted with the way the album's been received all over the world. Uh, Yes, I I think we're really um, excited by it. And it's been so long in gestation, I think, that um, it's that thing where you sort of almost forget what releasing an album is like. It's been such a long time anyway from from anything we've done before. Mm. Um, Before we talk more about the album, um, which is your 15th album, if we go back to when you were a child, what music do you first remember listening to? And do you remember the first song that you've ever purchased, the first vinyl? Well, very different. Um, First listening was, of course, in a world that didn't rock and roll hadn't been invented. Mm. So, uh, I've probably the Laughing Policeman and the Teddy Bears Picnic are sort of earlier memories of of music. Yeah. Um, But I know what the first uh, record I bought was, which was Rock Around the Clock. I know, or See You Later, Alligator, Haley and the Comets, and because that was. For me, that was the beginning of... Well, it was the beginning of rock and roll, really. Compared to what we had over in the UK, that was something totally different. Yes, I I mean, well, if you remember... Well, you wouldn't remember, but I would. But uh, it was Teddy Boys and rock and roll and riots in the cinema, but, you know, tearing the seats up. I mean, quite rightly, they saw it as a very dangerous uh, new... Movement. What was it about the drums? That, because it's one of those instruments uh, most people want to play the guitar because you're the first one to set up and the last one to get out if you play when you start up a band. So what made you want to pick the drums? Uh, well, I didn't want to pick the drums at all. I think I could probably have chosen lead guitar if I could. Because, yeah. But so the band, my first band, someone had already bought a guitar. They couldn't play it, but they'd bought it. Yeah. And I certainly didn't want to be a bass player. Um, uh, the drums was it. The album The Endless River comprises of mostly instrumental music. It's based on 20 hours of unreleased material that you previously wrote during the session for the album The Division Bell. Um, How did the concept come about? Who spoke to who? And was it something that had been planned for a long time? Um, Well, I think there's a couple of things to say. The first thing is it is based on on those original uh, tapes, from, that were recorded for the Division Bell but it's, it's been developed extraordinarily this yeah. is not a bunch of outtakes this is more or less taking what we had as ideas and then developing them, them up um, quite how it happened I mean my, my view of what happened was that we simply ran out of time with Division Bell the plan was to make a double album and that had to be ditched because we were starting a tour yeah. and we had one half of it completed and this rather curious ambient music that we were planning to release just wasn't finished I think what happened after that was that this material just sat in, sat in a storeroom and then Andy Jackson one of our engineers um, reminded us that we had this material and he did an initial assembly of it and yeah. reminded us of what was there and then he did some more work and over a period of I would say 10 years uh, every now and again this would be re-looked at, re-fiddled with and David eventually uh, suggested bringing Phil Manzanera in to have a, another fresh look at it, really. And Phil took a complete fresh look, went back, listened to all this stuff and changed things around again. Mm. And that began, began to get things really moving. And eventually David got involved and then he started playing on it. And then again, it still wasn't quite right. Uh, and so we brought, or David suggested youth 
come in and um, also take a look. And so after everyone had had a, a sort of go at it, we began to actually have something that we felt was a record. Um, the big problem before that was that it just didn't feel sort of structured mm. enough to be something that was, could be released. Well, in some ways it's a 21st century Pink Floyd album, in other ways it's a 20th century. There's yeah. so much of it that's, you know, there are so many ref musical references to really going back to the, uh, the beginnings of Pink Floyd. Mm. You know, in fact, there is a, at least one organ section that was recorded in 1968. The first week of the UK sales of vinyl for The Endless River were the highest of any LP released since 1997, making it the fastest-selling vinyl album this century. I think it's it's a nice statistic, but I think we have to remember that it's still tiny compared to what vinyls and CDs used to be. Mm. You know, it's a bit like saying uh, uh, there are more horses and carts on the road than there ever were. Is it the death of the motor car? <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, it's it's a it's a very nice medium vinyl. Mm. It, it, plays the music at very high quality which I think is quite often lacking with the way people hear music these days but it's very unwieldy um, There are 18 tracks on the album you've had some amazing reviews um, this is just one of them at the end of the CD we both sat in silence and eventually spoke and then agreed this is a musical piece and I do mean piece and it's extraordinary that's one of the reviews I've read uh, what is the overall feel of this album what journey does it take the listener on and what tracks are your particular standout tracks for you um, well, I think it's a sort of it, it contains various ingredients. I mean, I certainly uh, would not wish to tell people what what it is or means or anything else because the great thing with music is to let people make their own judgment and uh, not judgment to take what they find in it. And yeah. everyone finds different things, and that's one of the nice things about music. Um, but the, what I would say is that there's, without doubt, there's a sort of uh, a, a, a nod towards our history. There are reference, musical references to, to Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Um, and the other thing is that it's very much an opportunity to, to remember Rick, I think. Yeah. Because part of the fact, that, the fact that there is the only, only the one song on the album means that a lot of the music is an opportunity to listen to the way we structure music and the way things are played, but particularly the keyboards, I think. Mm. Uh, and I think quite often even you know, David's playing is particularly geared to, to uh, accentuating what, what Richard's doing, which is really nice.
your songwriting, as you were saying, it's, an, it's not a set formula. You don't have sort of a verse, bridge, chorus, the three-minute songs. When you've written as a group, how do you go about the writing process? And obviously it's been different for each album that you've done, uh, depending who you've been writing with. So how, how, how would you go about sort of putting something together? Well, I know for this one it's, it's slightly different because you've had those... It's, it's always different. Yeah. I, I mean, in general, um, if it's a group piece it's probably nothing to do with writing per se it's to do with playing together yeah and simply more or less jamming but it, and uh, and producing something almost of an instant that's uh, so in other cases we've had situations where someone comes in with a complete song uh, in this particular album it's very much david had the music and polly wrote the words yeah. and i think that's um I think it's a great song because it's one of the one of the great things about it is so relevant to to this to this uh, this piece that it's it can be seen as being about a, a couple. It can be seen as being about the band. It can be seen on a global level. Yeah. And as I say, there's an abstract element of abstraction that that uh, I think really works. In, in And we fight to see each other on sight, but this thing we do these times again, rain or shine, or stormy weather, this thing we do. touring this album and you could do to Pacturinas as you know do you think you'll ever tour again and is this definitely going to be the last Pink Floyd album well David has said he doesn't want to tour and it's the last Pink Floyd album yeah. so it would be pretty um, <laughs> unhelpful of me to announce that it's nothing of the sort yeah. I think it is I think the, for the, the reasons why we won't tour is because one David doesn't want to yeah. and if he doesn't want to it won't happen and the second thing is because without Rick anyway we would be struggling yeah. to, to actually perform what we've done um, and uh, the, I think there's um, there are inevitably opportunities for re-releases of existing material but we don't have vaults full of other sort of um, unheard gems yeah. um, so from that point and David certainly I think feels that he's sort of done Pink Floyd and wants to do uh, wants to do David Gilmore which yeah. is fair enough I've been very lucky over the years to come to your shows rather than just being on stage as a band you've always been very visual well the origination of all of that was the um, light and sound workshop at Hornsey College of Art which was uh, uh, put together by a man called Mike Leonard who was a le part time lecturer at the Regent Street Poly where Richard, myself and Roger were studying um, and Mike uh, was working on this thing, which was a, 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 the idea of, of 
um, art, light as art, I suppose, uh, with musical accompaniment. And he was the guy who brought us in to play it at, uh, at this. Um, and that really was the beginning of it but that coincided with the whole American light show thing mm. um, which was happening particularly in California where they were doing big rock concerts with big light shows and yeah. um, it, it grew out of that but it was a sort of double thing that that was becoming the fashion in America which was absolutely the sort of leader musically at the time um, coupled with this business of, of us Finding a niche really almost for ourselves with, the, with this whole light and sound thing and the coloured slides and, and so on. Going back to the recording studio with the material, obviously, you remember the old recording studios of the MTR 90s. How different is it now going back? Did you, was everything on originally on tape that you sort of had to put it on to digital? Well, How did it work? Well, I mean, recording studios have sort of been almost full circle in that. You know, the old Abbey Road days with a four-track recorder are long gone. Mm. Um, but then there was the whole digital technology and then there was the um, the Apple Mac. And so yep. a lot of recording these days is just done in sort of home studios or bedrooms and so on. Yep. Uh, but there is now technology so that if you want to, you can do really quite complicated uh, things. And we were certainly able to, for instance, lift... Um, keyboard parts that were recorded simply on two track yeah. and uh, uh, but revisit all the drum parts and the bass parts and guitar parts on it so we wouldn't have been able to do what we've done with this record if we um, if we didn't have all that digital technology I was going to say I've got two MTI-90s in a storage <laughs> somewhere I don't think they really? work anymore yeah <laughs> um, out of all the songs that you've written what song are you most proud of and why um I don't think I'm particularly. I'm probably more proud of a performance. Uh, you know, I like the drum part in um, Set the Controls, particularly because I think it's quite different to most uh, rock drum parts, and it's uh, it's a song of Rogers entirely. But actually, the the, the way the drums are placed in it. Something I'm really still very fond of and quite proud of. Where did that come from? And are you still um, entering into races? Yeah, um, well, it all started with my dad. My dad uh, raced cars himself and made films about motor racing. He was a documentary filmmaker and made uh, history of motorsport, things like that. Um, so I was taking motor racing when, from when I was very young. And people say, which came first, the music or motor racing? Well, motor racing did because rock and roll didn't exist yeah. when I was a small boy. Um, so that's where it came from. And I, I, always enjoyed it I've always found it to be the perfect foil to music um, mm. 
and uh, I'm racing less now but my kids are racing so I've got plenty of drivers and nearly enough cars (laughs) Um, what musical plans do you have for the future Um, I'd like to do uh, I'd like to do an anthology of our early work using not only the music but some of the videos we've got or pictures and so on Mm. Um, I think that could be fun I've been working with a girl called Kirsty Bergerelli and uh, she's done an album and she's probably going to do another one next year Um, and I've really enjoyed that we've uh, worked with had some great musicians playing on the record and it's been great fun and uh, it sort of re reintroduced me to playing drums for other people which is always fun uh, it, you know it's, it's nerve wracking because you always feel you can't sort of do it properly but actually I've really enjoyed doing that and I do some work at the Roundhouse with young musicians which I really like Yeah. Finally if you could go back and meet yourself in the autumn of 1963 at the very start of making music what is the one thing that you would say to yourself or the advice that you could give yourself at that time Oh, have some drum lessons. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us today at Phoenix. I think it's been a pleasure. It's been lovely to see you again. My pleasure too. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. Community Radio for Brentwood and Billericay. This is Phoenix FM 105.9.